Welcome, everybody. Uh, so I thought today, uh, for the first bit of story time, as people come to familiarize themselves with me a little bit, that we would step into the Wayback Machine and talk about what kinds of experiences that uh, sort of started me off on this in, in this hobby and what kinds of experiences have I had over the years from a console or PC perspective. So let's do it. So obviously, with uh, a hobby that spans, you know, over 30 years, there are a lot of experiences to talk about. But what really sparked um, the beginnings of this? So at home, between the ages of four and seven, um, Eight years old is, is actually when I got my first console that was mine to do as I wished. Uh, really before that time, I was able to dabble in a couple of things using my dad's Commodore 64. Um, this was a really a permission-based usage plan. Uh, he used that machine for work and educating himself around programming. So gaming was this little side benefit that he wasn't hugely interested in um, and interested in using the machine for, but um, it was there and we got to, to experience it. So if I was on my very best of behaviors and it wasn't during a particularly sunny day or a, or a time when I should be playing outside or doing chores, there was a potential of me getting to utilize the Commodore for a couple of simple games. So, you know, you think back, you know, age four, that's incredibly early. So, you know, it, my first game was barely even a game. We'll get into that. Uh, and, and for the Commodore, um, there's a lot of people that don't really have experience with, with this little <laughs> keyboard PC, um, uh, machine here and the simplicity of the games that uh, it was was able to do are, are really rather laughable so for a lot of people who don't have that nostalgic connection with with games of that era you could argue that they are almost unplayable by today's standards uh, especially if the kinds of quality of life Things that we have enjoyed, uh, you know, to date, like, you know, simple things, things that you think are table stakes, like difficulty levels or uh, saving a game or uh, continues, you know, these things that are a, a dietary requirement of even trying something today, um, they weren't there, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it just... That, that wasn't out there back then. So these games that, that I tried on the Commodore came on a floppy disk. And you can Wikipedia that if you're a, a bit younger and unfamiliar with that medium. But the older ones 
had the ability to carry less, and sometimes far less, than one megabyte of data, if you can wrap your head around that. Um, so you can imagine these things weren't very complex. The first uh, game, as I mentioned, wasn't, was, was, wasn't really a game as we think of it. Uh, it was sort of a, a digitized children's rhyme experience. Uh, it was called Hey Diddle Diddle. And this was made in uh, 1983 by a company called Spinnaker Software. They are, they were actually, they're a, they're a Massachusetts company. And believe it or not, they had game cases um, for these things uh, similar to today. It was a large, uh, it's probably quite a bit bigger than today, but it was a large magazine dimension sized clamshell with the disc and the instructions and the artwork and the information on the back. And uh, so this, let's, we can call it a game. It's, it's. I guess it's, I don't know what to call it, really, uh, experience, um, would draw out these simple illustrations uh, to go along with the, the nursery rhyme that it was, it was talking about. And it would play a little tune that was something you could expect to hear from an old Atari type of machine that MIDI music, chip tune sound that's really familiar to some of the older generation gamers out there. And it would write out the nursery rhyme for you to read. And there was maybe 30 or 40 minutes of content, which seemed like a lot. Um, at the age of whatever it was, four or five, I was enthralled with it. Uh, because at the time, I had never seen anything like it, um, not only just being young, but there wasn't anything really out there like it, um, and I knew that I wanted more. So my sister, who is a bit older, uh, also had a disc that was, let's call it hers to play, um, you know, my, my father really owned all of this stuff, but it, you know, it was intended for her. Uh, in that permission-based, once-in-a-while format that, um, you know, Commodore is not really for gaming, but here's this little side side activity that we can, that we can enjoy. Um, this was an actual game, and it was called Snooper Troops. And this was also made by Spinnaker Software. I watched her play that with fascination. Now, this was, it was a text-based, so if you think about type 1 for this decision, um, the letter T to do this, and so on, it just seemed, to me at the time as a little kid, like there was so much to it. Um, and there was this simple element where in addition to the text-based choices you were making around the investigation you were going to do, it was, it, it was a, you know, sort of a crime, crime investigation, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Ag 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 Agatha Christie, Nancy Drew type of thing. Uh, 
So in addition to those text-based choices that you were making, you get to move <laughs> this little car, uh, which is not much more than a rectangle, um, from the headquarters to suspect houses and locations to investigate uh, the case. And cars were just a huge thing for me as a kid. I mean, Hot Wheels and Matchbox car collections to the nines. Um, just cars were a fascination. Driving was a fascination um, that that I associated it with a with a freedom and it you know that the ability to go fast and it was just there was there was a lot for me around that. So in watching this game, there was that simple act of moving the car from street to street, which <laughs> it, it was no more than black and white pixels, um, you know, that, that were set up in, in these, what looked like, you know, street blocks, uh, and you were moving along rails, you know, you weren't, you know, doing a lot of moving around or anything. It was just A to B. It, it was something that at that age I could put a lot of time into. What I was doing at the time, I was really imagining it was me driving around. And beyond the game, just making up scenarios in my head. So let's say the game would say, just go from A to B. And I would, at, at that age, and, and actually this would, this would follow along uh, later, later on as well, make up a reason in my head to go from A to C to F to B, uh, just just to to you know pretend that I was driving that car around, and I can tell you that that sort of imaginary scenario situation for the for the simpler games over time that lasted a long while into other consoles in the future, uh, where if the game's storyline wasn't boxed in and linear, I was able to fill in some gaps and make up some things in my head to get more out of that game. So part of that was, uh, and we'll, we'll get into this more. It, it, it was a symptom of growing up in a household where this as a hobby was, was frowned upon to a degree. Uh, it was seen as maybe a, maybe a roadblock to success and doing well. You know, with regards to to schoolwork and and um, concentrating on on education and those things, and also as an incredibly expensive toy, really to keep up with. Money was was tight; it was real tight. And new games. I mean, once we start to to talk about the NES, the Nintendo time frame, um, was really relegated towards. Those big gift, once a year, Christmas time instances. So if you got, so think about it, if you got a game like, like Spy Hunter for, for the NES or Metroid, that was your flavor for six months to a year. Really. Uh, it, it, and so if you think about it, if you weren't really interested in going the standard route that the game intended, 
you had to to kind of make up your own story and scenario for doing what you were doing on screen. And and there were a lot of really examples of that for me. And 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 honestly, I I, I will go deeper into that in a, in another podcast because um, I I think there's a lot to share there. Um, but we'll we'll move forward. Going back to the to the Commodore after after a couple of years, and my dad <laughs> upgrading to uh, a Commodore One Twenty Eight when that came out, the games and my permission to try them became a bit better. Uh, I remember a couple couple games from that time period. One being. Uh, Buck Rogers and the Planet of Zoom. Now, I'm pretty sure this was for the 128 uh, and not the the 64. But um, and the reason I say that is this was actually in full color. Um, most <laughs> most of the other experiences, hey diddle diddle, I guess had a, had a little bit of color to it, but uh, everything else was really you know green screen, black and white, uh, not a lot to to go for there. And this this in my memory had, had a bunch of color to it. So Buck Rogers and the planet zoom, this was a, a full color spaceship piloting, uh, game where you steered your, your small ship through these pylons that sprung up in rows from the planet surface. I, I could not get the hang of this game. Um, no matter how, how many times I tried I certainly understood what I needed to do, but the hand-eye coordination, uh, ability to think about changing what I was doing when I when I was making mistakes was not with me. I just wasn't there as a as a kid, as a gamer, as a you know figuring things out. Um, I, I had a re- I had a real tough time with that game. I did not I did not go very far with that. Um, I enjoyed my time with it for, for what it was, but I really, I made little to no progress at all. Um, but another game that was certainly, uh, ported and upgraded through time. Uh, cause I've, I've seen it in several instances. I think, uh, the six, uh, the super Nintendo has a, has a version of this. I'm pretty sure it, you know, it'll probably be out there for one of the Ataris and, and other things like that was, was a game called Choplifter. And I, I got a fair amount uh, out of this game for, for value uh, of time. It was a, a rescue helicopter game in a side scrolling view where you had to rescue and successfully drop off these say there were prisoners or something I, I don't i don't know if they were supposed to be pow's i, I don't you know I'm not this is a long time ago and i don't I truly remember you're trying to get them out of this this battle zone uh without getting shot down and i can't fully recall if you had any retaliatory fire that you could take out the turrets that were and other warfare that was trying to shoot you down um but I do remember it was pretty unforgiving from a controls perspective. 
Uh, it, if I remember right, when you move the helicopter, you know, and in, in, in this happened in a lot of helicopter games, the, you know, the, the front would dip a little bit and the, and the rear would, would go up in the, you know, in the direction you were heading, you know, just as a, a helicopter might under, under full, full thrust and, or at least maybe the older ones. And, um, you know, so it wouldn't turn on a dime or, or anything like that. It would, you know, it was a full, it, it was a seriously a situation to go in, in the other direction. So, um, you had to pick up these little stick people, um, you know, in, in the graphics era that we were in, that's pretty much what you got, uh, in, in this poorly controlling helicopter while being shot at. And if you didn't have your little, your little rope that they, they climb up, uh, to get into the helicopter to rescue them right where it needed to be. They would stand there and wave at you in this incredibly irritating manner. Um, so <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I, there was times on occasion, I would leave their waving ass as I flew away to drop off the, uh, let's call them the more agile and quickly rescued party members, uh, off at the, uh, red cross tent or the base or whatever it was somewhat of a heartless thing, but it gave me a chuckle. After after dodging bullets for five minutes, while well, this this pinhead uh, waved, while you know, really two inches, if if not less, from the rope that they could climb to be rescued. Well, sorry, you <laughs> you failed in uh, in providing your half of the effort. I'm out of here. See ya. So, uh, and there were a couple other instances that I can think of on that machine of, of games. I, I can see them in my mind, but I really have no idea what they were, what they were called or based around. I could, I could do some Google searching, but, um, those were the, really the ones that, that stick out in my head. So if I think about the first touches with games that you could play with other people, uh, really, really happened for me in an, in an arcade and before PCs software began to offer people top-notch graphics in a home environment, all of the newest and most impressive, impressive game experiences happened in an arcade for me. Uh, one of the most prominent in the area where I grew up was called Dream Machine. After I got my first taste of this place, it was really hard as a young kid to walk by it in the mall where it was located and not be drawn to the sounds and lights going on in there. Kids in my grade at the time would, would, would have these incredible birthday parties uh, during these and, and man, during these two or three hour parties, you would get unlimited tokens to play the games and you could just go crazy. And I remember when I was in grade school in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game was hot and it was 
before the time, I think, when uh, the NES cart came out that was supposed to, you know, emulate that a little bit. So this game was was hot, and it was definitively the the way to play that game. Most of the party, <laughs> I can tell you, and the tokens were eaten up there. Everybody like that. It was you know four four people around this machine. Everybody had a different turtle, and um, you know. One kid would run out of tokens, he would circle out, next person would filter right in. You always had four people going on that machine. Uh, and that was, oh God, that was a blast. And I think, I don't, see, I can't place the time frame in my head of when this was. There, there was, I think there was a solid G.I. Joe cabinet that had um, a four-player same-time experience as well. And that was that was pretty good. On my own, though, as a, as a little kid, we're talking pre-allowance years. Uh, there was no going to spend my time in there while my mom was shopping or whatever in the mall, unless I just wanted to look. Uh, quarters in our family were <laughs> were often were not they, they weren't really spent in that manner. Uh, things were tight, but I don't want to give the impression that it's, that we didn't have a, a quarter to spare. We sure, we, we definitely did. It was more of what I alluded to before that this was an activity that the, the main, it, you know, everybody thought of it, it rotted your brain and it wasn't mainstream for, you know, it wasn't normal to, to be really interested in this stuff. Um, not a ton of people played games or knew about games at the time. And in the rare instance, I did get a quarter or two. Um, I must've really been behaving. I would spend probably more time looking at each game and assessing how long I could play it per quarter to get the most game for uh, the most game out of my out of my buck, the most bang for my buck, really. Um, <laughs> this is this really. I mean, this subject it, it's another podcast length topic of, of bang for your buck in gaming. Um, so let's say let's say I walked around and I, I thought Afterburner looked fun. You know, sitting in that cockpit and having the whole thing move with you. Uh, as you, as you moved the, the ship around, it, it looked like a blast. But I would also think to myself, if I get burned on it in 15 seconds, that's that's not going to do. Uh, I, I'm, I'm moving on to pinball or golden axe. Uh, those, those were definitely ROI positive on game, you know, on time versus quarter. Golden axe. Man, I haven't thought about the arcade version of that game in years. I love that game. And and I certainly have them. I I guess at this at this point to play on one connection or another. I guess as well. I got I got to check that game out at some point. I I I also remember we were at this campground one year. And this was often this was often our family summer trip going to 
some of the northern states and camping over the course of a week or so in the summer. Um, that's, that's what we would do. And wherever we landed, whatever campground it was, I would always go and check out my surroundings first thing. Yeah, kid, you want to go exploring for sure. But also, I would make sure to look to see if the little general store on site, you know, they always, they pretty much always had one, had any arcade games. And more often than not in this era, they had a few. There's one year I'm thinking back to. I would go every morning and afternoon and check the quarter returns. And I think, it was, let's, let's call it one out of 25 times, there would be one sitting in there. And that one, whew, it'd be like I won the child lottery, free quarter. This particular camp, I remember it had a decent pinball game. I don't recall the theme around it. Um, but it also had an outrun game and this was one of my favorite arcades had the, had the manual shifter, even, even without quarters, like I mentioned before, the preview of the game would, would go on and display high scores. And I would pretend during that time to steer the game and play with the shifter as if that was my practice, That as if that would prepare me in the rare instance that I got to play this thing. And, and through my imagination, through just my fascination with it, it would actually occupy me for, for a long time without, without having a dime. And really, those are, those are some of the earliest memories before ever owning anything that was, that was truly mine. To, to really, um, you know, progress things in, in this hobby. And, and, and really, those are the roots, my friends, uh, where the fire was lit that continued on throughout time to, to be a great hobby for me. Um, I do have a lot I want to share with gaming. We're going to dive into games I'm, I'm currently playing. Uh, over time, we're going to have more of these historical uh, segments. I think I, I have a lot to talk about on each of the consoles that I've that I've owned over time, things that I've kept and things that I've I've parted with, um, games I finished, games I miss. Uh, why do I do the things that I do with my collection? What I collect, how I keep it, how it fits or doesn't fit into my life well during a during a given time. Lots to go over. Uh, so many topics. So. Keep an eye out for new content if you like these and, and types of things and, and reach out. I will have several social options to, to manage some conversation over time. Uh, and I look forward to the interaction. So I want to thank you for coming and hanging out today. Uh, it's Cross Games. Have a good one.